Podcast Network Asia. Hello and welcome to this week's brand new episode of the Class Clown Podcast. My name is Chino Liao. Brand new in terms of guests. That's right. We have a guest this time around. And he is none other than my good friend, Mr. Turner Sparks. Now, Turner and I go quite a ways back. We first met during a competition in Hong Kong. Um, I think it was the same competition where I decided to eat pretzels on stage. But that is another story for another time. <laughs> also, I don't feel like reliving traumatic experiences in my life. So we're not really ever going to talk about that, you know. Maybe for a future episode. We'll see. But for now, the reason I decided to have Turner on is because he has a very unique story. Well, of course, I had him on because he had me a few times on his podcast. So I thought I'd return the favor with my 20 loyal listeners. (laughs) No, but I'm also having Turner on because his story is actually very unique. He was one of the first people to ever start doing stand-up in China, mainland China, not talking about Hong Kong or Macau or even Taiwan, which is not China, according to the Chinese. But uh, I'm talking about mainland China, deep, deep China. And he talks about what that was like in this experience and his experience there, rather. Um, And the reason I decided to start off this series of podcasts that I'm going to do with comedians from around the world is essentially because I had an idea from, let's say, a good few years ago where I would travel the world with a camera and visit different comedy spots around the world. Because comedy exists outside of the United States. It may have started there, but it has born birthed a life uh, it has birthed a life of its own in different countries around the world. That's what I was trying to say. It has spots in Europe, in Southeast Asia, of course, Philippines, being one of them. But then there are comedy spots in Vietnam. Diba? May nagko-comedy sa Cambodia. How do you even do that? Right? There is stand-up comedy in Russia. There is stand-up comedy in Mongolia. And that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to visit all those unique places where comedy was actually happening meet the people in that place and see how different comedy in, say, Tokyo, Japan is compared to comedy in Paris, France, you know, or how different comedy is in Mexico compared to comedy in Nigeria. These are actual places with stand-up comedy, and I wanted to be the person to document that experience. Eh, may kumain ng panike, as Los Red Oliero likes to say. So that plan basically is non-existent now. I mean, I was gearing up to do it. That was what I was dedicating my life to right now. And there are a lot of people who've had the same ideas, essentially, but have, of course, unfortunately, had to do something else, have had to pivot, as they say because of this current pandemic. And so I thought that while I am yet unable to travel to all these different pockets of stand-up comedy, I am at least going to be able to talk to people about what it's like to perform stand-up comedy, where they perform the stand-up comedy in. 
And Turner Sparks being one of the godfathers, one of the founders of comedy in China, uh, is the perfect person to start this podcast off with. So without further ado, here is my interview with Mr. Turner Sparks. The Kung Fu Comedy Club. Yeah. Right. Okay. And in New York, it's also Kung Fu Comedy, right? Yeah, we do shows as new. We do shows as kung fu comedy in New York. Yeah. Okay, but that's not a club, right? Is it a club? No, New York. It's just because a, a few of us um, moved to New York around the same time. Myself, Gus Tate, and Joe Schaefer, and so we just decided to start running a, a branch, basically, where we do a monthly kung fu comedy show. Right. Gus Tate moved to New York. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. I actually caught him when I was in um, Hong Kong. We're just gonna eighty six the first part. And pretend okay. like it never happened and just start with okay. the interview and just, just so it sounds more natural. All right, whatever. <laughs> sounds good. Right? It's very, very professional operation from where I am. <laughs> but, uh, I hope you're fine with that. Hey, thanks for making time, Turner. Yeah, thanks for having me, dude. I'm actually I'm at the Friars Club right now it, in New York. I was recording my own podcast this morning in my apartment and I'm in a one bedroom apartment, my wife and I was New York city sized apartment. Right. And so I decided for this podcast, I would get out of her way, <laughs> go to the Friars Club. So yeah. she doesn't have to hear me talk. He should just hear one end of a conversation all day. So, so you, when you say a New York sized one bedroom, it's really more like a studio, right? It's like, that's like, <laughs> yeah, well, it's one, it's, it's, it, ha it does have two. So we have a bedroom and then we have a, then the, another room which the right. other room is our kitchen but it's also our living room but it's also our dining room it's also my podcast studio and it's also her <laughs> office so it's everything in, in... yeah the other room is everything <laughs> right so right. sometimes but but the friars club has like a million rooms and if you're a member if you're a comedian and a member you can just call and be like hey i need to use an extra room and they go yeah come on up so so, so so the Friars Club is like a a an exclusive members only club for comedians. Is that it? That's it. A comedians, entertainers. So there's singers, there's musicians, um, and then you can also be you know there's a few dentists stuff right. like that. But, but for the <laughs> yeah. most part, for the most part, it's people in the entertainment field and agents and managers and club comedy club owners and everybody. So it's like a network of people who clean teeth and make you laugh basically yes that's it that's exactly <laughs> that, it and they have uh there's a gym there's we're putting in a podcast studio this full video audio 4k oh, wow. video there's a, a co-working space there's like a place to just hang out and watch basketball games there's a bar there's two different right. bars it's pretty awesome there's a comedy oh. room going in too so wow okay okay that's that's pretty special now you've been doing stand-up uh since what just just this month last week how oh, long man uh three weeks it's i've been three back weeks now that's live in-person stand-up yeah i was right. doing all the zoom shows with you and everything, right but uh in-person standing on a comedy stage three weeks i mean i mean i don't know about you but i've also started doing shows out here in person live in in the face and it's actually it's nothing like a zoom show right totally different yeah they're two different things i remember when i started zoom shows a year ago trying i thought oh this will be easy i'll just use all my stand-up material and a lot of it didn't work it right. didn't translate really and so then i started writing new material for zoom almost that format that medium and then going back and trying that material on a stand-up stage a lot of that doesn't work either some of it does but most or like the premise might work, but you have to totally re rework the right. joke and the timing and the rhythm and everything. Yeah, the the handicap is something I've never been able to figure out figure out yet because I just use the same material for both formats, I guess. Oh well, that's good for you. For <laughs> me, it didn't. I don't know why. It was just I just treated him. I guess I just decided to treat him like two totally different right. things. Yeah. But um, yeah, three weeks, and I would say, man, I had my first. I think I've had one or two really good sets, like what I was, you know, the the standard I was used to kind of before I stopped. But it's been a lot of like, I've noticed that my jokes, because I've been writing for the whole last year. Right. So a lot of the writing is is there. It's good. 
but my performance is really, it really comes and goes on some shows. It's good. On other shows, it's not there yet. So I'm still figuring right. it out. Right. Right. So, okay. Let's, let's wind back a bit here. And yeah. you started doing standup in China, correct? Correct. That was so the what, first place. So what got you to do standup in, in another country? Well, I didn't move to China to do stand up. All right. I was, yeah. Yeah. Naturally, <laughs> I was in, yes. I was there. <laughs> I was I, I taught English for a while. I moved there after college, two thousand four. Right. And then I taught English for a little while. And then I had an ice cream truck business. I had my own business. Right. And in two thousand nine, a friend of mine opened a bar up. So I'd always been a fan of stand up, like big time fan of Norm McDonald is my favorite comedian. Right. And uh always. And um I was kind of Googling around 2000. For, I, I'm a musician. So I, I was in bands from the time I was 13 until like 2008, basically, even in China. And in 2008, everyone from my band, they were all these expats. They all kind of moved home and moved away. So all of a sudden I had no creative outlet to do write songs or do anything, but I'd always, uh, but I always been a fan of comedy. So I started right. Googling like, Oh, maybe I could try, maybe there's open mics. And I remember Mark Marin started around that time, 2009, maybe. Okay. His wow. Okay. His podcast. And I started listening to his podcast and he would have a comedian on every single week. Remember at the beginning, it was just comedians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you start to hear like the story of how you, how these guys got into comedy and how, what their first shows were like. And it just got me really interested. And so I started Googling like how, where they're open mics. I want to do an open mic, you know, but we're near in Shanghai, maybe or Beijing, or I don't know. Turned out there was nothing anywhere in mainland China. There was right. well, Jamie Gong had that club in Hong Kong, but that's all the way two hour. Yeah, it was a flight. It was a yeah. two hour flight away from me. And um, all I found was there was this improv group in Shanghai. And I didn't really want to do improv, but I also was like, whatever, I just want to try out comedy in any way possible. So I emailed them. They never got back to me. And then three or four months later, my friend opened a bar in Suzhou, this guy from Portland, Oregon. And he was, it was a brand new bar. He needed a way to get customers in. I was drunk one night with another friend and we were like the only two left at the end of the night sitting at the bar. He was bartending. And uh, we were talking about how much we love comedy and we'd like to try, we want to try at some point to do stand up. And the guy who owned the club, owned the bar was like, hey, why don't we just do it here? I'll build a stage. I'll put in lighting. If you guys will agree to do a comedy show. And so we were hammered and we're like, yeah, sounds good. Ah. <laughs> Barely remember agreeing to that. And then the next morning he called me and he goes, Hey man, he called me at like noon, you know, but that's morning if you're, you know, for me. Yeah. And, uh, he calls and he's like, Hey man, the stage, I just, the stage is finished. They've already built the stage. I call, I hired some guys. They built the stage. The lighting's in you guys are on in three weeks. And he's like, I've already emailed people about this show. So we had no choice. We had to do a show. And so we just spent the next three weeks, like writing jokes, writing jokes, writing jokes, and convinced my two other roommates. It was me, the other drunk guy at the bar, and then my two other roommates. I convinced them to do the show. So the four of us did a show together. None of us had ever done comedy ever. Uh, and then we found out later that was the first open mic night in China. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so what... That so you essentially you guys started comedy in China, right? That's yeah, in the form that we know it as. Yeah. yeah. And stand American, you know, Western yeah. style stand up. Yeah, in, in American stand-up style comedy. Because I'm sure the Chinese have their own form of comedy, you know, with their local they have, flavor. Yeah, right? they have like a two-man show, two people, but it's scripted. Right. You know, and it's that you read a script and it's it's a lot of like wordplay and talking fast and how fast can you go back and forth, bing, 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 bing. But a one man standing on a stage writing their own jokes. Right. That was the first time. Uh, and there had been this guy who had brought through like foreign comedians, European comedians, maybe usually British once every right. six months or so. But we were that was we were the first local scene. Right. That was in late 2009, early 2010. Okay, so what yeah. were the first shows like for you guys? Like, were there crowds that came? Did you have yeah. a hard time pulling people in? No, it was uh, the, it was full. It was rowdy. Um, it was more like like when I play music, I was in the punk rock scene in Northern right. California growing right. up, 
I would say it was closer to a punk rock show than a comedy wow. show. <laughs> Most people, so the club set, the bar was small. And seating, it could seat like 15, maybe 20 people, but it could stand like 50 people. And so, or 60. So everyone was standing. No one was seated. Wow. So you're doing jokes. Imagine on a stage, it's only like one foot high and everyone is standing. And because they're standing, there's something about when an audience is sitting down that they feel, it feels more like you on stage have power and they don't because they're right. below you. Right. But when they're standing, they're almost as tall as you. And so was this really like, you would tell a joke, people would heckle. I remember there'd be fights, like an audience member would att attack a comedian one time. Wow. Everybody's hammered. <laughs> so it was like, it was, and, and also like you kind of knew. So the reason why these were full is because there was nothing at that time for expats to do locally. There was no events happening. This was in Suzhou, China. This wasn't Shanghai, this wasn't Beijing. There wasn't like a Rolling Stones concert to go to or whatever. There was nothing. Right. And so people just came more for the spectacle of it. Like the re same reason why you would go see the bearded lady at the circus. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's why they came to our shows just to see. And, <laughs> and also the, the expat scenes were small enough to where everyone kind of knew each other. So either it was friends of mine or friends of friends of mine. But the whole idea was like, whoa, these idiots are going to try comedy. Let's go watch them suck. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's the same reason people watch Evil Could Evil try to jump the Grand Canyon, you know? You, you yeah, know you, you hope they fall. <laughs> right? They're Either like, way, it's a good show. Yeah, or NASCAR or something, you know? Yes. I, I, yes. It, I totally understand where you're coming from here. So after a while, you guys started a club, right? How long did it take before you guys started uh, the club in Shanghai? Well, so we did that. I did that for a year in Suzhou with a bunch of friends. And then a year later, Andy Curtin and Joe Schaefer and Audrey Murray and uh, Morton Fussball, this other guy, started doing shows in Shanghai. Literally almost exactly a year later. And they wow. didn't know who I was. I didn't know who they were. But um, we got connected within two weeks, I mean, of them starting shows. Someone, our Suzhou was only 50, 60 miles from Shanghai, 20 right. minutes away on the fast train. So a lot of people would hang out in one city, live in the other city, yeah. you know? So we had mutual friends. So they put us together and they started, they called their thing Kung Fu comedy. I think we were called like Stand Up China or something, which right. um, Stand Up China ended up getting us banned from all like the local internet because wow. they thought it was some like revolutionary organization. Or something. <laughs> like, we needed to stand up for China, China you know, yeah. like an anti-communist thing. Uh, so that wasn't a good name. So they, they start calling their So in 2011, but they were doing, it was the same thing. So we were running bar shows in Suzhou, just like the, the bar would give us the stage for a night, you know, and they were running the bar shows in Shanghai. And so all of a sudden we could go back and forth between our two cities but we would have to set up all of our own shows. And then that was 2000, early 2011, they started. And then by mid 2012, we started flying out comedians mm. like Butch Bradley, Paul right. Gata, Joe Klosik started coming. And we would take them on tours around China. And Andy and I would usually open for the tour. And then early 2013, I think, is when we finally got a club where we had in Shanghai five nights a week. It was still like the back of a bar, but the guy gave us, he had a side room that he gave six nights a week, essentially as long as we wanted. Right. So that then became called Kung Fu, Kung Fu Comedy Club. And, uh, and then even later, Andy opened his own bar, his own club that was right. what we think of in the Western sense as a comedy club. It was right. only for comedy. I think that's what I actually ended up performing it. Um, in 2017 that 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 yeah, by 2017 exactly so we so we um this bar in shanghai let us were five or six nights a week run a club in their in their side room and the deal was they sold all the drinks we sold all the tickets kind right. of you know and that was great and we were selling out and i remember joe close that came out and lived in this san francisco comedian came and lived in china right. for two months we sold out every single show for two months and at the end of Joe Klosik's two months run, the owner of the bar decided he got greedy and he decided to kick us out 
because he thought he could make all the ticket money too. He right. wanted the drink money plus the, plus ticket, the ticket money. money. Yeah. So he said, well, if they can do this, I can do this. So he kicked us out. And then um, I don't know what his plan was. So just start with brand new comedians. He clearly didn't understand. By this point, I've been doing comedy. Yeah. yeah, we don't. But I've been doing it four years. Andy, three or four years, which wasn't a lot, isn't a lot. But compared to everyone else, had been doing it zero years or six months or something, right? So he was going to get rid of all of us and start with a whole brand new group of comedians and expect it all to be the same. And he went out of business within a year. His his bar went out of business. Wow. <laughs> uh, and that's when we bounced around for about six months. And then Andy found that spot where he opened the actual Kung Fu Comedy Club that you went to. Right, right. It's nice. So before all this, like you guys were bouncing around different clubs, different bars, different rooms. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you also got a little pushback from from China itself, right? Because it doesn't feel like it's a very it's very open to the idea of free speech. Is that no? Is that so, <laughs> yeah, in, that's correct. Free speech is actually illegal. <laughs> right. Like so, the, uh, so so like how did you navigate that? Like was it illegal for you to hold those first shows? Did you guys get in trouble? Well, I. Um, at one point in 2012, I think I got banned from doing comedy for six months in Suzhou by the government, right? In the city, I was because, but it's not based off of anything I did. I mean, I'm sure you know every criminal is uh, never committed the crime, right. <laughs> everybody's <laughs> innocent, yeah, everybody in prison's innocent, yeah. yeah, and that's me too. So, uh, yeah, let, let me start from the beginning though. So from the beginning, at that time, the way China operated is not how China operates now. The way China operated then was they really wanted foreign companies and foreign people in foreign companies to set up business in China. There was a big push from like 1990 to 2012, I would say, 2011, where the government, the, whole, the Beijing national government's idea was get all these foreign companies in. And um, if we get them to set up a, a, an, a factory in Suzhou that needs a thousand people, well, boom, we have a thousand people employed, right? We're getting jobs for our, for our right. people. And that was a good plan. So as part of that plan, they wanted to keep, they had all these laws, the free speech laws and all this kind of stuff, but they, the government kind of decided, not officially, but in practice decided that these laws were not going to pertain to foreigners because they thought that if, if they were going to ask IBM, for example, to open a factory in Suzhou and employ a thousand people, they were going to need the 10 Americans to come over and run the factory. Right. And they wanted to let those, they wanted those 10 Americans to be happy living in China. So they wanted to give them entertainment like us and all this kind of keep them entertained, give right. them something to do yeah. while we slowly take over their business, you know? Uh, <laughs> and so that was us. We were the entertainment. So on the books, yeah, for any, um, for any group, for any gathering of more than 50 people in China, you need a permit of anything. If it's a church, if it's a concert, if it's a speech, if it's a, a Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you need a permit from right. the government telling them exactly what you'll do, lining right. out all the things. And if you're a, a, a concert, if you're a band, every single song you're going to play, they need to know wow. the set list. And if you're a comedian, which they had never run into this issue before, but if you're a comedian, every single line in every single, every single word of every single joke you're going to tell needs to be submitted. And then they'll go through it for a month or two or three or whatever and get back to you and tell you if you're approved or not to run your show. Now, that's, that doesn't work for open mics, right? Right. Uh, we do those once a week. We can't right. wait and do all this. Stuff. It also doesn't work for, con for tours in general because comedians can kind of go off the cuff right. and do whatever they want. So basically, the local governments just look the other way and let us entertain the foreigners the first couple years. Wow. Right? And that was kind of Hu Jintao's China. That was the, he was the, he was the guy before Xi Jinping. Okay. The president of the country. Right. And that was kind of his model. Let's just, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't worry about these little things. 
we want to keep the economy moving forward, keep the country moving forward. Okay. Then Xi Jinping came and uh, his mod, his idea was the opposite. It was, <laughs> yes, let's sweat the small stuff. Let's go after every single person until we root out. I think by the time he came along, China had gotten everything they wanted to get out of foreign people, right. foreign businesses. And now was the time to get rid of those people so they could do those people's businesses, you know? Right. And so there was no, there was no longer a need for us. We were not part of the plan. Uh, and at that point, that's when I got banned from doing comedy. And it was pretty instant. I mean, it was right when he took over. Like, right. Wow. Meaning whatever, whatever message came out of Beijing went straight down to local governments within a day, two days. I mean, it was known immediately what the, what the new plan was. And the way I got banned, though, was that um, we were doing a, a bar show where we, it was a big bar and we were getting a hundred people every week to come watch these shows. Actually very similar to Umar's show in, in uh, Singapore. Okay. The comedy masala it had a very yeah. similar vibe to it. Similar size room packed out like his were great yeah. energy and a bar owner down the street of a rival bar got jealous of the amount of business we were doing that this bar owner was doing. They didn't care about us. And so they wanted to shut down that other bar owner's business. So they reported me as the leader of this thing, which was not a comedy show, but an anti-communist organization. <laughs> and these were our weekly meetings. They yeah. the government. Wow. Yeah. And I was the head of it. That, that is bad. So did you guys yeah. get raided? Did you get the raided? Did you get arrested? Yeah. Uh, not arrested. So the next week I was going to have a show downtown at this bookstore called the bookworm. And, um, the bookworm called me the way I found out about this is the bookworm called me and they said, Hey man, your show next week's off. We can't do it. I asked why. And they said, well, because, uh, the police came by yesterday, took all of our waiters and waitresses, all of the Chinese people basically took them into the police station for questioning and questioning meant you, they wanted to let, they wanted to, <laughs> them to tell them every, everything they knew about you. And it was great. I started getting text messages and phone calls from all these waiters and waitresses. And right. they were all saying, they were like, I didn't tell them anything. One guy goes, Turner, <laughs> I, I don't, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was everybody. He goes, Turner, I looked at their book and I saw what they already knew about you. And then I just told them what they already had written down. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell them anything. No. And I didn't care. I was like, dude, don't worry about it. You got to protect yourself. You know, I, I, I thought at the time, like the worst that's going to happen to me is I'll get kicked out of the country. That would suck. But um, first of all, I don't run an anti-communist organization. Yeah. All this is a lie. Yeah. So I had faith, which is probably stupid. But I had faith that like, oh, the truth will come out. I'll be fine. I was not a genuine. I'm not a tough guy, but I genuinely yes. wasn't very worried about it. Uh, so I said, OK, we'll just move the show. And so we moved the show to another bar and I emailed our email list, which was maybe 200 people saying of people who had bought tickets. And I said, hey, guys, we can't do the show at the bookworm. We're moving it to this other bar. And an hour later, the other bar called me and they go, hey, we just got a call from the police. They said, you can't do your show here. <laughs> and I hadn't put it out publicly. It was, so it was someone on our email list was up, updating the police. Yeah, was the snitch. Was the snitch. That's what we call it. Yeah. So anyway, that was six months. And then um, the police ended up deciding that, okay, Turner, they said, we've investigated you. You're not running an anti-communist organization. These are just comedy shows. But they said, truthfully, you're not a legitimate business. Because we couldn't get a business. We could, you could never yeah. get a business license for this sort of thing. So they said, because you're not a legitimate business, you're not paying taxes. And so, therefore, you can't charge money for these tickets. You can run these shows, but they have to be free shows. Free. And then they kind of said, just don't let us find out if you're going to be charging money 
<laughs> that was kind of the end of it. It was like, we don't want to know anything. They basically didn't want to waste their time. Right? Yeah, basically, they wanted to, you know, keep their heads clean. Just like, not yeah. deal with the whole thing. Wow. A lot of interest. Yeah, sorry. So, I'll just cut right into a break here as I continue on with the stories from Turner Sparks. More from the Class Clown podcast after I tell you about a few ways to help us out. More with the Class Clown Podcast in a bit. But first, let me tell you about the many ways you can help this little podcast out of mine. Starting, of course, by shopping on Lazada. That's right. Lazada is having its biggest mid-year sale. Ang daming sale sa Lazada. But we're not complaining, especially if by shopping, you can help the Class Clown Podcast out. How? It's very simple. All you have to do is log on to podlink.co slash shk. Again, podlink.co slash shk. That will lead you to your Lazada app and you can add to cart from there. Now, for every successful add to cart and checkout that you do via that link, I get a little something something to help out the Class Clown podcast. Now, if you're after more important fares, diba? Gusto nyo ng, ng, ng Alexa Echo, diba? Or ng Amazon Kindle. I think you know where we're going. That's right. Amazon is now also part of the link deals. If you or a friend from abroad want to get the latest things from Amazon and you want to shop more and smile more, as their current slogan says, then you can use my link, podlink.co slash S6O. Again, the link, podlink.co slash S6O. That'll lead you to Amazon. And again, for every successful ad to cart and checkout you do via that link, I get a little something something from Papa Jeff Bezos. Keep calling him Papa because I hope he'll adopt me one day, even if I am 34. <laughs> but I got a little, little something something from him. He might fly me to space. And from there, you can help the Class Clown podcast out. Now, if you have a podcast, if you yourself have a podcast, then you should be a member of Podmetrics. Podmetrics is the super easy, super fast way to monetize a podcast. You can track your podcast ranking on there, your listenership, how it's doing, and get yourself some sweet, sweet links like I have right now. All you have to do is sign up on podmetrics.com and use my referral code CLASSCLOWN. Again, the referral code is CLASSCLOWN, no spaces. If you are an advertiser and you want to work with me and you want me to murder the names of your products, (laughs) all you have to do is log on to podmetrics.com slash advertisers. Get podmetrics.com slash advertisers. But enough chit-chat. Let's jump back in to this episode of the Fastbound Podcast. All right, back with Turner Sparks here on the Class Clown Podcast. Very interesting stuff coming from him about doing stand-up in China. So you were actually saying something before I rudely interrupted you with a break. No, 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 not at all. I was just saying, so that was 2013. Right. And then through two, from there, I left in 2016. So for the next three years, it was that was only the rule in Suzhou, though. And that's one thing people don't always get about China is that it's very, it, in some ways it's cohesive. In some ways if Beijing decides something, everyone does it. But then there's this other slow, there's this other saying they have where ba- the mountains are high and the capital is far away. It's a Chinese yeah. saying, which means that yes, that's the law. But when you get down to the local governments, there's deals to be made everywhere. Right. right? And because <laughs> it's a big country. Had, 
Yeah. The mountains are high and the emperor is far away is the saying. Right. It's a really old saying. Um, and that that go, that plays into it a bit as well. So it did take time for the other cities kind of one by one. Meaning, When I say time, it took years for the other cities to adopt this policy of, well, you can't charge money. And now the whole country does it that way. I know the guys who still perform in Shanghai, they tour China and they don't get paid. They literally just do free shows around the country. Wow. Is is yes. tipping not a thing? Because I know out here that's a like you pass a tip jar or a hat around after shows. Is that not like a possibility in China? That could be a. Way, I think you could do it that way. Yeah, especially if the whole audience knows it's a free show. I haven't checked in to see what they do. Right, but that's tipping is not part of Chinese culture. But right. a lot of these audience are either Chinese people who've lived abroad and speak English or people international, right? Because the shows right. are in English. So I think you could definitely do that. Everyone would understand the concept if you just yeah. explained it. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't rely on like actual Chinese people to tip being Chinese myself. But uh, <laughs> I, I would understand how like, you know, foreign foreign expats would understand the idea of like, you know, hooking the comedians up after after a show. So yeah, especially if you say we're not getting paid, this is a totally free show. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's the same way it works out here even. So you moved back in 2016, you said, uh, to New York. Is that correct? To New York. Yeah. My first so, time living here. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so first of all, was your intention to do, to move back, uh, to do stand up full time or did you just want to get back to your homeland? So to speak, is that what, no, what made it, you move it, back? Uh, it was to do comedy full time. Yeah. So I had done um, at this point about six years of stand up in China and toured uh, pretty much everywhere around Asia, done the Hong Kong comedy competition a number of right. times and kind of felt like if I wanted to do this as a career, I would need to move to the U.S. And I also knew that I needed to get better. I knew that I was good for kind of where I was, the scene I was in, but I needed to get a lot better if I wanted to make a full-time living. If I wanted to expect people to pay me a full living to do to right. tell jokes, right? And so I just thought New York was the best place to do it. I had looked at I, the previous summer, 2015, I'd spent a week or two in New York, a week or two in LA, and really just thought that for stand-up purposes, New York was going to be the place to get me better just because the amount of clubs, the amount of shows, the amount of stage time I could get. And uh, I'm pretty happy with that decision, by the way. Right, right. Okay, so was the... Okay, so having done, having started comedy in China and then suddenly moving to the mecca of stand-up, was the yeah. transition difficult? Yes, very difficult. I remember when Gus... So Gus Tate was in Beijing and then Hong Kong for a while. And he, we were never in the same scene, but I just knew him because of China, right. you know? And, yeah. Uh, but Joe Schaefer was in my scene. And he, he and I and Gus all by chance, we didn't plan it. We moved to New York at the same time, within a month or two of each other. And Andrea Jones-Roy, who was also a Shanghai-based comedian at the time. And, okay. Um, but Gus and Joe and I started a show and we both kind of, we all three of us kind of tried to get into the New York Comedy Club. That was our first place. Right. And remembering that, I mean, not remembering, kind of realizing that we were doing our best, best A-level material and barely getting by at the New York Comedy Club. I mean, I remember our goal was don't be the worst person on the show. What? Was it. <laughs> yeah. It was like, if we can be second to worst, that's an accomplishment. Because and this is and the New York Comedy Club is a very good club, but the top right. club's the comedy cellar. Second right. is probably the stand. And then I would put the New York Comedy Club as the third best club. So we're trying to just barely hang on at the third best club in New York, right? Out of right. probably 15 clubs, I would say. Right. Um, and and then uh, we also got into this club called The Lantern. And there we were pretty good, pretty kind of in the middle, I would say. But that was also one of the lower level clubs in New York City. So it just shows if it was like baseball, we would be like a single A. We were at like right. a single A level when we got to New York. After being, so, so a good way to put this, I was touring as a headliner around Asia in June of 2016. 
right? Right. And I had just gotten second in the Hong Kong comedy competition the year before. Drew right. Freilich, my old roommate, we were roommates. He got first, I got second. And I was pretty much at the top level of Asia of comedy in Asia when I got to New York. So that was June of 2016. In July of 2016, I was standing on the street barking people into the Lantern <laughs> Comedy Club in New York City in exchange for stage time. Yeah, yeah, the barking is what really gets you. It's like the most jarring thing yes. ever, like for stage time, just to bring people into your show. I remember I, it sucks. Yeah, you remember seeing it? No, I remember having to do it actually a, a few times. Like I get here asking for stage time, and I t- I tell them who I am. I tell them what I, how long I've been doing stand up. It's like yeah. I'm a stand up comedian from the Philippines. I've been doing it since 2008. It's like oh wow a while right. So you have any credits? Yeah. So yeah, I did it. I performed in Hong Kong. I sent them some clips. They were like okay cool. Come meet me at this place at this time. And I go there and expecting to perform right away, not expecting have to have to you know send out flyers and walk the block around for people to it come sucks. to the show to this little room in the middle of the mission. It, 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 it's it's like the most jarring thing ever. So like jarring. To have, like to have to perform and promote at the same time. It's well, just, and then also <laughs> you give a flyer to somebody and they go, ah, I don't know. And you're kind of annoying them. And then you see them 30 minutes later in the show while you're performing. Right. And you go, oh, man, this is the audience that I just it hates me already. Uh, Where were you doing that? Was that in San Francisco? Out here in San Francisco, but this was a while back. This was back in. I didn't even know they did barking outside. Twenty eighteen. I don't. I don't know if okay. uh, the room is still around. I've never went back, honestly. But yeah. <laughs> after that one time, so that's was... what I was doing. So, and the guy, I did one show when I moved to New York. I did my first show at a at Greenwich Village Comedy Club. Whatever, it's near the Comedy Cellar. Right. There's a million comedy clubs down there, and I went on stage. I'd been in New York a week, literally one week go on stage at Greenwich Village, do my set. As I'm walking off stage, the guy going on next, um, not the host, but the comedian going on next, stops me and he goes, hey man, take my card uh, and call me tomorrow. I own a club down the, I I work at a club down the street. Wow, okay. And so, okay, cool. So I call him the next day and he goes, hey, um, can you host four shows tonight? Wow. And I was like, wow, sure. He goes, I watched you last night. You're great. You're what I need. Can you host four shows? I said, sure. So I went and I hosted four shows. And then at the end of the night, it's like midnight, you know, I've done a 6 p.m., 8 p.m., a 10 p.m. at midnight. His name is Craig Fox. And Craig goes, uh, all right, great job. Um, here's the deal. I will give you, uh, I think it was, it was insane. It was like 12 spots a week. Wow. And you bark for, no, it was 15, 15 spots a week. You host five, you bark for five, and you do spots on five. And he was offering it to me like it was the best deal on earth, but I had only been in New York a week. I didn't understand if that was good, if that was bad, if what, you know, I didn't even know right. if 15 spots a week is good or bad. Right. It ended up in hindsight, that's a great deal if you've been in New York a week. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of people have to bark for every single spot and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, I did that for a year. That was my first year. And it also kind of gave me stage time right away for a year. And the other thing I learned is if you just stick at one club, it's, it's impossible to get into every club right away, right? Right. But if you just stick at one, everybody comes through that one. <sighs> and then really the most, uh, the scariest time in living in New York was at the end of that one year when I decided I wasn't going to bark anymore and worried that he would take my spots away, the other spots, the other yeah. 10 spots, and yeah. no other club would book me in New York. Right. And luckily that didn't happen. I kind of worked my way through that a little bit, but it's definitely ups and downs. Right, right, right. I, I totally understand because, you know, it's not easy to get into a club in New York but I don't get 15 spots from that club, right? Totally. And then, yeah, so, and he told me, I said, hey, man, I might, I'm thinking about stopping barking. And he goes, all right, no problem, but just be prepared. You're not going to get 15 spots anymore. And I think I got like five spots, something, right. maybe. And two of those were hosting and three of those were spots or something. Right. But I just kind of worked at getting into more spots at New York Comedy Club, started my own show in Brooklyn, the living room show that you've done now yeah. virtually and everything. Right. And, uh, I kind of jumped into that show. So you just have to, but it's like, it's, 
the first few years in New York, you're really scrapping for stage time. Right, right. I, I remember hearing about guys from out here in the Bay Area who move out to New York trying to, you know, make it like you have. And, yeah. and they all, they well, some of them come back real quick <laughs> from yeah. New York. Yeah, like yeah, a lot, yeah that like, happens. Like a lot of them make it, sure, but a lot of them also just come back from New York real quick. And it's just, it, you think it's this idyllic place for comedy, and maybe it is, but it's also not easy. It's not easy. And it's, it can be, New York can be the best place for comedy. There's this like threshold. Right. And if you can get above that, and get to the point where you're getting booked on shows at comedy clubs, then it's by far the best place in the world for comedy. But if you're below that and you're barking and you're doing shows where there's just two people and you can never push past that, then you really are better off being in some place like San Francisco or Austin, Texas or right. Chicago or like a second level, second tier city. Right where they are happy to have you as opposed to New York, which isn't happy to have anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think New Yorkers are happy in general. I, I think that's yeah. a rule of thumb they have. Yeah. yeah. So if you, I, I would almost advise people. I think it's a smart move. If you're here for a couple of years and you can't, you don't feel like you're getting anywhere, you're better off. You're getting better stage time in another city, I would say. Right. Right. Okay. So now as a final thing, here you've talked about doing comedy in china for all those years you're talking about doing comedy in new york right now where do you think it was most difficult for you in china or out here um here in new york i think my first year was incredibly difficult it was the most difficult year i've had in comedy i actually i mean to be honest i got i think i got worse at comedy my first wow. year because confidence kind of went away uh, because I was performing for big crowds out in Asia. And also, to be honest, I was a white guy in China, so my act was written for me. So, so like the novelty was there. Yeah, okay. The novelty's there. You have a shared experience with all these expats, and you're not really talking about yourself. You're talking about your situation, right? But you're not digging into your own personal life. You're kind of just talking about... And as much as you try to get away from that, you kind of, you are who you are. And then when I get to New York, I'm no longer this special, like white guy <laughs> who lives in China. I'm just any other asshole white guy, right. which there's a billion of us on stage in the United States. Right. You know? So you have to figure out what's genuinely unique about you, what your real thoughts are, your real perspectives on everything. And ultimately that makes you a much stronger comedian. But for a while, while you're figuring that part out, it makes you a much worse comedian because all, basically I had all these crutches when I was in China that I didn't even know I had, right? right? And then I get to New York and all those crutches are gone. And I had an hour of comedy in China that 10, I remember 10 minutes of it worked in, in the US. Wow. 50 minutes of it didn't make sense, didn't work. So I had to re, either rebuild those jokes from the ground up Right. or get rid of them and write totally new stuff. And the combination of that is what my first album was, which I recorded a couple of years ago. Right. Uh, but it took, that was a year of really grinding through, trying out all this stuff, trial and error, trial and error. Meanwhile, losing my confidence because I was no longer killing like I used to do in Asia. I was bombing in front of four people a lot and all that kind right. of stuff. But if you push through it, then it's, yeah, you can become a lot better. Right. All right. Hey, thanks, Turner, for making time out for us today here on the Fast Clown Podcast. A uh, really, really interesting talk about comedy all over the world, essentially. So if you Thank want you, to... Thank man. Thanks, man. So if you want to let the listeners know where they can catch you, where they can catch Lost in America, please do so right now. Yes. So go to turnersparks.com. I'm actually... This week, I'll be putting... Uh, I'll be putting my um, tour dates up. I'm going to be touring throughout the United States in the fall, September, October, November. And I'll be actually a little bit in December. I'll be at the Alameda Comedy Club at the beginning oh. of December out in, in the Bay Area. I might actually be here for that. So, hey, we might oh, be amazing. able to see each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that would be great. All right, cool. Uh, so go to turnersparks.com for those tour dates and listen to the Lost in America podcast. Chino, you've been on twice. Twice, yes. And Fortunately, sure you know. We'll I'm sure we'll be getting you back another time soon. So Lost America podcast, that's on YouTube. You can watch it or listen to it on whatever your podcast player is. Thanks, All Gina. right.
All right. Thanks, Sterling Sparks. Hey, that's a wrap for my episode with Mr. Turner Sparks. I hope you got a sense of what I was trying to do here. Moving forward, and I will sprinkle these episodes in between, we'll still have the usual topic guest, right? Parang talking to people about finances or medicine. I'm not, I'm not dissing those people. Like Those people are very important to this podcast, especially in the next few weeks. I line up the guests, but at the same time, I also want to continue talking to different comedians around the world. It's an entirely new concept that I'm bringing to this podcast. It's something that I've always wanted to do. And I hope you guys got a sense of what I was trying to do on this week's episode. I also hope that you follow Turner on his socials and check out the Lost in America podcast as well as the Living Room Show all on his Instagram. And while you're at it, check out my Instagram because I have a Consulta MDGC giveaway going on right now. All you have to do really is tell me on my Instagram at Chino Supersized. And of course, tag the people at consulta.md as well. Tell me which was your favorite episode of the After School Special Series. That's it. Talked about a lot of things on there. I talked about my writing, talked about going to film school, the food that I like to eat, my nerddom, the English language, the pandemic. Ang dami kong kinover. So if you can't pick one, at least just pick the least annoying one. <laughs> Yun na lang. Baka mga pressure pa kayo eh. Diba? Kailangan nyo pumili ng favorites. Just pick, pick the least annoying one. Tag me at Chino Supersized and at Consulta MD, of course, for the good folks at Consulta MD. And you might walk away with your chance at free healthcare. Guys, yung GCs na to, equal free healthcare. You can walk away with consultation. But that is the most valuable thing I can give up right now. Diba? Wala yung koche. Diba? Pwede naman kaya koche, house and lot. Walang sinabi yan sa healthcare right now. So if you want your shot at that, then follow me on my Instagram page. Now, until next time where we talk to more people about more random things only here on the Class Clown Podcast. This has been a Podcast Network Asia production, powered, of course, by Podmetrics. Goodbye. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. <laughs>